Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren Christ Church Podcast. My name is Ryan Cagno. The HPIC Podcast brings you weekly episodes on the topic of discipleship, where we'll sit down with members of the HPIC family to hear their stories, hear about the different ways people at HPIC are pursuing discipleship, in other words, how they are learning to follow Jesus' example and obey his teachings in their daily lives in practical ways. This week I talked with Chad Fry again about what it means to be a neighbor, about breaking down the compartmentalization we tend to bring to church life, to life with God, life quote-unquote out in the world, what it means and looks like to break down those walls. Uh, what is church? Where does it happen? With who? Um, we want to have a more holistic, integrated life with Jesus. So hope this helps with that. Enjoy this one. You know, my role as pastor, I tend to think about my role as pastor of discipleship as, you know, confined to what's happening in the context of a Bible study or something like that, you know, um, in context of, yeah, adult uh, study groups and small groups, et cetera, and those things. But can I spend more time with kids men, with youth men, with mm-hmm. food pantry and ELL and whatever else and kind of be mm-hmm. thinking through how are we all collectively following Jesus in these different spheres and having conversations with people about their lives and how they're following Jesus in those spheres and continuing to push beyond the bounds of like, you know, I'm not the pastor of small group Bible studies. I'm the pastor of discipleship, um, which in and of itself is a little reductionistic because it's not as if the pastor of children's ministry and the pastor of youth and young adults are not also pastors of discipleship. Right. Right. So in some sense, I'm like, I'm, I'm a, what does the pastor of discipleship do in like this type of setting and, and church family, you know, I'm almost just a auxiliary or like a support yeah. in some ways to everybody else. And just kind of like, I don't have as much of a defined ministry, but y'all are also doing the thing that I've been charged to lead us in doing. And so just partnering with everybody else, whether that's my fellow pastors or whether that's people in the congregation right? where discipleship is happening. Right. Um, acknowledging that, telling those stories, encouraging and, and praying for and and partnering with, you know. So I took an already relatively nebulous job and just pushing it further down the line of nebulosity. <laughs> um, That's good, man. I mean, I think it's important to, like, not get caught into the reductionistic roles of pastoring, right? What mm-hmm. does that mean in such a narrow job description yeah. versus recognizing the church is big. There's a lot of things going on. We don't have the corner market on what God's doing. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a mystery in many ways. Yeah. So how do we come alongside and, and support, equip, uh, encourage? Yeah. And, and not just for my role, but like for all of us, like I'm just, I'm increasingly sensitive to, the compartmentalization of discipleship and just not just in the ways we talk, the compartmentalization of, of life together, you know, um, I, I just am, I, I have a growing by the day distaste for it, uh, a growing by the day distaste for saying, go to church. Like I want to cut that out of my vocabulary. I want to cut that out of everybody's vocabulary. We like, don't go to church. Cause as soon as we say that, we're reducing and we're, we're isolating, you know, we're putting God back in the tabernacle, um, in a lot of ways back in the temple, um, reducing what, what church, 
who church is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, church is a what as well, and it's also a who, but it's not a, 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 a place you can pinpoint on Google Maps. Um, and that's been said ad nauseum, right? Like, you know, I'm not, you know, it's been a very evangelical thing for a long, long time to say, like, the church is not a building, et cetera. It's like, okay, well, then let's, you know, we don't go to church. And likewise, I, you know, we don't, you know, an hour Bible study once a week is not discipleship, uh, not the, the sum total of discipleship. There's a danger there. Um, it's good to get together and study the Bible for an hour. I think that's good. I, I just have a growing wariness of calling those things discipleship to the exclusion of, of all else or leaning into my job as pastor of discipleship is small group Bible studies, you know, my understanding is Jesus is like is claiming territory, every inch of territory in our lives. Um, and I preached about this recently, but I almost like, yeah, <laughs> I'm almost reluctant to put forward Bible studies and things. Like I think we should be doing those, but I so desperately want to see them integrated into a, a total life of discipleship. Um, right. And I'm just so afraid because I see it in myself all the time. Right. Like, I did it. I read the Bible today. Right. I prayed today. I, I fulfilled the Jesus portion of my daily duties, and now I can move on to the rest of my life. And Lord willing, by the end of my life, however long that is, I won't think of it that there won't be any non-Jesus portion of my life. Right. Um, I mean, those are really critical, really critical things to think about and consider personally and in ministry, I, I'm, I'd be fascinated to have a conversation about where does that compartmentalization or reductionism come from? You know, what's at work, what's in our Kool-Aid, right, that we keep drinking in our culture today that has us thinking in terms of, like, uh, reductive compartments? Um, and so what I heard you say to some extent is that there's a wariness or a hesitancy to push out a lot of programming because programming in some ways reinforces the compartmentalization of discipleship and evangelism and all the other things, which again, getting holistic and making things bigger is that the building does not have the corner market again on what God's doing. It is not the church in that reductive sense. These programs and Bible studies and things like that, the curriculum doesn't have the corner market on what God's doing and who God is. They're, they're intended to facilitate, intended to support, intended to equip, but not intended to be the end all. Yeah, but that's always our tendency, right? Like we, right. Um, we push Moses up the mountain so that he can interact with God and we don't have to. It's not bad that you know, we have a spiritual leader that goes up the mountain, receives the law, does these things, whatever. It's not bad that we have teachers and have programs, et cetera. But when, you know, when we elect evangelists or identify these are the evangelists and these are the people that are a part of outreach ministry. And so I can say, wasn't well, it nice that I go to a church that has an outreach ministry? I'm glad they are doing outreach, you know. Or we are doing outreach insofar as I'm connected to a church where a subset of the people are doing outreach. Now, it's like, the tough thing is, like, we should be doing that outreach ministry. We shouldn't not be, but we need to just 
viciously guard against in our minds making that shift of like outreach box checked. Right. Now I don't have to outreach. Now I don't have to uh, interface with my local community and, and engage with like the, the acute needs around me. Right. I mean, in our own history is instructive to some extent because these aren't questions that are particularly new, no. you know, like in the brethren in Christ, there was a period of time where our brothers and sisters, you know, were adamantly against building buildings mm -hmm. and actually excommunicated people that did only for a few years later to like go back, ask forgiveness and say, will you join us? Cause we're now building buildings because we, we didn't want to some extent those buildings or thought theologically about those buildings as threatening this idea of God being in our intimate community and, and part of those relationships and yeah, I mean, what know. didn't the didn't the temple? I mean, the temple wasn't God's idea. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been reading through uh, Samuel and Kings, mm -hmm. and like God didn't say to David or to anyone else, "Go build me a temple." It was David's idea. God in His graciousness, right, accommodates who we are. You know, it, it the king wasn't the king that suggested the temple was not God's idea That's either. Exactly right. right? right. Uh, God in His graciousness says, uh, "Okay, well." This is not my plan. It amounts to a rejection of me, the kingship, but okay. The temple as well, in some ways, amounts to a rejection of the proximity I want to share with you, being in your midst. This is what the tabernacle is about. This is what the fire and the smoke and the garden were all about. I want to be in your midst, and you keep pushing me a level away, mediating me through hyper-localization of my presence and through programs professionalization through, through professionalization yeah. so this is the other thing and I, by the way i should say i'm deeply sympathetic to our ancient brethren in christ yeah, forebears yeah. Yeah. i'm really sympathetic when i read the quest for piety obedience and i read about some of this stuff i'm like yeah. yeah you guys are right you know we didn't have professional pastors let me implicate myself right now and if you if it sounds hypocritical just know i daily struggle with whether or not <laughs> whether or not my job is holding others back from discipleship but like we didn't have professional pastors. We didn't have paid pastors until 70 years ago, 80 years ago. I mean, even 70, 80 years ago, 40s, 50s, it was rare. It became the norm when we made the evangelical shift, but we didn't want to have professional pastors because as soon as you tab and say, this person is set apart for the work of ministry, the implication there <laughs> is that the rest of us aren't. Or are right. or not in the same way, you know. So how do we? I'm not necessarily saying it's bad to set apart people for the work of ministry. We it's there's biblical precedent for it. Right. There's biblical precedent in the Book of Acts for, you know, people being set apart for specific functions. But how do we not follow then the implication of that down to and the rest of us are lay people, and we're not, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, uh, what I love about this is that in many ways, it's not like we have the answer, right? It's just that we're asking important questions. and I want the answer, Chad. We're, ta we're taking this. Well, here's one answer. I know this to be true. As you struggle with that sense of, like, hip, hip being a hypocrite or however you phrase that, I'm like, hey, we are all hypocrites. It's just whether or not we know it. Especially Anabaptists. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we are... By virtue of calling ourselves Christians, tr ascribing, taking the name of Christ and trying to follow 
uh, perfection, right? We will fail. That is the nature of what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. It, the issue in faithful discipleship is not whether or not we're going to fail. It's, it's how do we accept the grace and the kind of forgiveness and change that God offers us when we do. It's not if, but when. So, I mean, yeah, we're all in that boat. And I would say any listeners out there that want to separate themselves from the hypocritical camp, um, I'm calling you on it. <laughs> he is, yeah. Um, yeah, we're all hypocrites. The beauty of the Anabaptist tradition in my uh, in my view is having received that grace, we still contend that we should keep on trying. You know what I mean? That's right. We we take seriously the end of Matthew 5 and the be holy as I am holy that we hear echoed there and in Leviticus and elsewhere. And we take it seriously and we say, all right, like that's, it is impossible, but it's not hyperbolic. It's a sincere command and we're going to follow that by your grace. And in light that's of that right. grace, we're going to follow after that. Um, even so... <laughs> So granted all that, granted the the latent hypocrisy of this, like how do you, Chad Fry, um, break out of this, you know, impoverished imagination that sees discipleship as only happening within these four walls, happening specially with paid pastoral staff, within the context of church programs, all those things are valuable tools of facilitation, right? Um, but facilitating a thing is not the thing, right? The thing is like following Jesus and how do we not lose the forest for the trees? How do we not, uh, become so used to the facilitating tool, the program, the mediating thing and, and not lose sight of the thing? Yeah. I mean, uh, like to be really honest, very practical, it's asking questions like, what does it mean to follow Jesus in this or today or here? And to some extent, it's bringing into consciousness areas of life that I would just normally skate through or go through without asking any questions. So I think being a follower of Christ is asking hard questions about everything. Now, for some people, that can be exhausting. And I know in my own life, again, too, I can't always ask questions about, is there a deep theological meaning behind brushing my teeth this morning? Like, some of these questions are, um, you know, I don't know, seemingly to be an, to use a big word, ataphora, you know, like these kind of like nuances, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, you know, just meaningless. It really doesn't matter. But, um, I do think that, you know, at some level, asking questions about our cell phones and, you know, where the minerals and materials and elements come from that that make those phones and make that technology and are we complicit in violence in ways that we don't think about it? Um, Yeah, we need to ask all those questions. Like, ask those questions about where we live, why we live there, how that place came to be. Um, You know, there's a history there. Uh, there's there's something about being intentional about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that invades every aspect of our life, every aspect, that then when we ask those questions, we're able to bounce it off other people 
including people that aren't professing Christians. Mm. So I think that's probably one of the most powerful forms of evangelism. It's not about getting the script right, running around asking people like their targets to become Christians. It's about sharing what is God doing in your life? What are the questions you have as you're trying to be faithful and finding out in, un- in surprising place, other people share those questions. They just might not have the language that you use, but they're asking those questions and they're not alone. And when we start to realize that not only we're not alone, they're not alone, but God's with us in very unsuspecting, even in irreverent places, helping us to find answers outside the church, in the community, in the neighborhood. Like, that's where I think that this this issue of seeing the kingdom bigger um, is really helpful. And also experiencing and living with God in a personal way gets really big as well. Um, and really life-giving. Like, you know, there's a tremendous amount of um, joy and excitement that comes out of asking those questions as, as well as like hard things. But that's where I think the energy and the animation comes from. Just asking, asking those hard questions, those intentional questions about everything about the world around you, about why am I, why am I here? Why is this happening? Who is this person? Like just everything, just kind of eyes wide open. I don't even pray with my eyes closed anymore. You should, nor should, nor should you. That's a con that is a conscious decision. I'm, I pray with my eyes wide open. I do not assimilate that posture of bow your head, close your eyes, escape. At least that's what it means to me for other people. It's not that it's very reverent. It's other things. Good, good on you. But for me, um, I keep my eyes wide open when we, when we pray. I think you should. This came up in a previous podcast and and I don't know where we got the idea that we need to close our eyes and crunch them closed and, and, and when we pray, but it communicates a ton of what we think is, you know, where we think God and God, where God is and where God isn't, you know, and it's less illustrative of this whole thing, right? We, we have to close our eyes and focus and send our prayers out into the distant cosmos because that's where God is hmm. versus praying with our eyes open, praying as you walk down Second Street. That's right. Um, and seeing, you know, seeing God there, not in some pantheistic type of way, but in the sense that, you know, we believe the Holy Spirit is pervenient and pervasive and that God is already at work. And so really, you know, it would be wrong to ask the question, how do we not put God in a box? Well, God's not in a box. That's right. You start with that <laughs> you just assumption. just have to open All your eyes. All things are sacred. Second right. Street is sacred. Yeah. The, it's the desecration of Second Street or the desecration of Harrisburg or the desecration of America or of the world is to not recognize the sacredness of what God has done and is doing and will continue to do in this place. Hmm. Like that's, that's the, do we have eyes, ears to see that work? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Yeah. So how do you practice that on second and North and down front street and everywhere else that you, you know, call your place? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just walk you through my day to some extent. Like my, um, I take a morning walk with my dog Everest. 
mm-hmm. that is a mix of a golden doodle and a Bernese mountain dog poodle mix, Bernadoodle. On his way to being a local celebrity if he's not He already. is a rock star. He's a rock star. He looks like a little lion. But we, you know, we take a walk, and Everest actually is the uh, spotlight for a lot of people. So he breaks the ice, uh, whether or not you're, you've got your suit on, you're going to the Capitol, or whether, you know, you've got fecal matter on your pants because you're homeless. Like, you know, it's the whole nine. He doesn't care, and he will go up to everybody, age discriminant, you know, just, like, doesn't, just doesn't care. And that starts conversations. So Everest actually engages me with a lot of people. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's not me. But when we start talking, um, we walk typically down to a coffee shop, Little Amps. Shout out to my crew down there. Plug, paid promotion. <laughs> go, go team. Link in the bio. Uh, they're phenomenal. But um, yeah, you know, I, I've become, uh, I've started to develop habits, right? And part of that is very conscious, People can't connect with you if they don't know, if you're not there. So over several years, I've been living in Harrisburg now since 2004. And um, over the years, I've developed habits where um, I can run into people on a relatively routine basis. And I can start to develop some relationships with them. Um, It's a process. It takes time. But it has been becoming more and more and more intentional about seeing people as my neighbors and getting to know their name and trying to actually literally take the commandment to love your neighbors uh, and put it in practice, you know? So it's not something that we should abstract this idea of love your neighbors as you love yourself. It's uh, something we ought to take literally and we ought to be intentional about it and find all kinds of, interesting expressions for that. But for me, uh, walks with my dog in the morning and in the evening, get me out into the city, get me out into the community. Um, You know, my work um, is often in an office, uh, in a building, you know, uh, or these different like lunch engagements, dinner engagements, they they tend to be out at at, um, uh, restaurants that I'll frequent. But... um, by and large, uh, trying to get some practical ways to actually get out into the community, get yeah. out into the neighborhood, not just walk from my kitchen into a garage, into my car, drive to the office, walk into the office, work all day, get back in my car, drive into the garage, drive, walk back into my house, and never see a soul, right. which is the story of many, many people's lives. I don't know if you heard about the the Surgeon General, the U.S. Surgeon General's Report, but there is an epidemic now, he's declared, on isolation and loneliness. Mm-hmm. The implications of that are huge. Um, the UK actually has been ahead of this for a while. They actually have a cabinet minister on loneliness. Uh, so they've identified this as a social issue that has enormous economic consequences as well as other things. But um, here in the States, we're just starting to see at a policy level fractures in our social capital, uh, in our neighborhoods, people literally don't know their neighbors. And when you're in trouble, your neighbors are usually your first responders. If you don't know anyone, it's incredibly lonely, depressing, and dangerous. So um, I think that we're going to get community one way or the other, whether we get it 
uh, theologically in a relationship with God and see our connection, the image of God and others and how that gives us all life. Or we get it from the standpoint of like, we're just not going to make it socially, economically without other people. And there's a resonance there that I can find with my neighbors that increasingly there's a longing for community, for connection, but it's not always, um, starting with say faith sure which is i mean it's probably good if we ever are actually going to reach folks that haven't yet been reached or um engage people with the love of jesus uh in theory we're going to have to brush up in the friction of you know people that are not in that place with us but it's interesting i mean so there's a analogous compartmentalization happening here i mean it's happened culturally for us right where we don't work where we live we don't always go to church where we live. We're not, you know, getting our coffee where we live, right? Um, I think of this in the choice between going to the Starbucks drive-through versus going down to Tiger Eye or whatever it is, you know. Um, yeah, we, we as a society have been, you know, have been separated from each other. You know, this is suburbanization, right? Is what, what It's what the suburbs were meant to do. It's typified in the automatic garage door opener, right? Um, Typified in the fact that in the suburbs we have back porches and in the city we have front porches, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, What happens, you know, with that change? Um, And so you're kind of fighting against the natural tide of what we've all been kind of afflicted by. And part of the reason for the separation is we don't, you know, we don't work where we live. Or sometimes we do now, but it's through tele, you know, it's remote working where we don't right, work right. with anyone at all. At least when we were going to an office, we were around other individuals. Right. Um, but we've lost that sense of like thick community that came in, that was a given centuries ago. Right. You know, you know, cars have made us farther away from each other. Planes have made us farther away from each right. other. Trains, right. Um, didn't used to, we never would have, none of this would have been a question 200, 300 years ago, right? We would have just, like, the people that you lived within a mile of were the people you knew, period, done deal. And you were deeply known by those folks. You know, loneliness probably was not, it certainly was an epidemic. um, Right. But it wasn't really a threat at that point, right? But, um, and so to that, you know, I, I think our church has rightly valued wanting to be in and for the city, thinking about our neighborly proximity to individuals. And in some cases, then lamenting the fact that some of our immediate neighbors are businesses, you know, versus residences. We've tried to be good neighbors to them, you know, EGS across the way, like hosts their trainings here. I think we could do a little better. And how are we neighborly to the car wash and and some different things? I think we could ask those questions better. We wanted to think about how can we be neighbors to the people on, you know, the, 2000 blocks of Derry street. Um, and, uh, and that's good, (laughs) but I think that I want to push it back a level and say, like, we're talking about how we, the, the corporate assemblage of people that make up Harrisburg Rhythm in Christ on 2217 Derry street, how from 2217 Derry street can be, uh, present neighbors, um, 
But man, the transformation that would happen in our communities if everyone took seriously what you're taking seriously in yeah, terms of like right. for us to be to fill out our you know stated mandate and our core value of wanting to be like in and for the city does not it ought not be limited to these blocks of Dairy Street, right? It's not limited to the the, right. the footprint of our physical space here. It's all of us in all the neighborhoods that were scattered throughout being faithful in those places. You know, that's what it means for our church to be present in their communities. Right. And that's, uh, I think, though, that's nothing less than a paradigm shift for understanding what church is and what evangelism is and all that stuff. I mean, we literally have to see ourselves as neighbors, that we are neighbors to other people, that they are neighbors to us. And not just individuals, but also corporations and organizations. Neighboring is not just an interpersonal thing. It's a systems thing. So, I mean, we've all heard the slogan like State Farm, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What does that really mean? You know, like, and I think the question ought to be asked, can corporations be neighbors? They don't really have a soul. You know, they're not like an individual, like a, a, a person is that you can give them brownies. But they um, have free speech, though. At least they do. So they have good. all the legal rights of an entity, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and there is no doubt that at a systems level, they are either contributing or harming the neighborhood at at scale, right? Mm-hmm. That that individuals aren't. So we need to take that seriously. Um, I think just backing up real quick before we get into Harrisburg is I'm profoundly aware that the Brethren in Christ denomination is largely agrarian. I grew up in Lancaster County, and I know that it's a different conversation for folks that are at distance geographically from their neighbors. Like if you're a half mile away from the closest person near you, neighboring looks different. Um, doesn't mean that you don't have neighbors. It just means that it looks different than it does in the city where we're, we're on top of each other literally stacked in apartments and, you know, very tight row homes and blocks. The density factor shapes the conversation. The exposure to social and economic challenges shapes the conversation. Harrisburg, as the seat of government for the Commonwealth, shapes the conversation. Um, So all those things are at play with our specific mission here in Harrisburg, But I just wanted to say that if you don't live in a city, it doesn't mean that you're, quote, you know, don't have neighbors or in some ways can't live out this idea of loving your neighbors. Um, It just means that the expressions might look a little different. Yeah, you still have a social network. You still have a web of interconnection with other people around you. Exactly. It just might be... Unlike Chad, we can't just walk out our front door and down three blocks and, and, and run into a hundred people, right? right. You know, exactly. like that. it's just different. But you still have that network. You still have the ability to be faithfully present with your neighbors, with those that are not a part of this church community out there, right? Um, and to some extent, you have to be very intentional about it. I have a privilege. I have a luxury. Yeah. I walk out my door. People are are connecting with my it's dog and I like immediately, easier. right? It's yeah. super simple, right? Um, uh, like you have to be intentional and thoughtful about it, mm-hmm. but you have to do that in a way that uh, I, you don't see people as targets or walking around as like like projects. Yeah. Like 
you know, what, what we're after to some extent to get to the point is when you're trying to faithfully live out what it means to be a Christian, then people are not projects. They're, they're on a journey. They might not use the same language, but they're, they're looking for connection, belonging, um, you know, all, all those things, they just might not have expressions for it. So I think that that's fundamentally where we connect, right? Yeah. And a project would be easier. Tons easier. It's because t- it, it's it's limited. It's compartmentalized, and it's, yeah, that's right. It's targeted. It's not. It doesn't demand of you living a total life of presence, right? In a and, place. And there's a power there too. You can control a project. You control. You it. can set the rules for it. Yeah. You can. You can. It's, um, it's four o'clock now. I'm done. That's I'm exactly going home. right. That's exactly right. Like when you're dealing with real people made in the image of God. You've got to be humbled to understand that they might actually know something about God that you don't. Mm -hmm. And you're in a learning experience here, too, as fellow compatriots that are hypocrites this side of heaven and trying to work this stuff out. But this violent way of thinking that in some ways these people are projects— Conquest, yeah. Yeah, like that that actually dehumanizes them um, because you put a label on them. Mm-hmm. And I, I really um, push back against that in our common ways of thinking about evangelism. Yeah. Because we're, we're looking at doing something to others. Yeah. You're doing something to others. Right. And that process of doing something to others easily turns them into something that is not human in a sense of being made in the image of God, being a brother and sister. It puts a label on them. Even if that label is being a neighbor, mm-hmm. your neighbor has a name. The question is, do you know their name? Yeah. Do you know their story? Neighbor is a distant label that you put on somebody until you know them. But we're called to be literally in relationship with people. Right. Which is harder. Which is hard, especially for someone like me who sucks at names, dates, and things like that. I'm a face person. I'll remember the conversation. I'll remember, but I will not remember names. And it's just hard. I have to make a map. I literally have to like write it down, make a map, put it in my contacts, or map out my neighborhood of, okay, this family lives here. Here's their names. Like, if you're serious about it, you'll take some of those little steps. It, and yeah, it's hard for that reason. It's hard for me because I generally would be content to not talk to anyone mm. for large swaths of my day. Like, I like it at times, but I also, like, I want to be able to turn it off. <laughs> I'd rather projects than relationships because projects are bounded, right? And in, in relationships, there's a vulnerability there. There's a availability that I need to provide, and I don't always want to. Um, but I think that's what we're what we are called to do and you can't it's a lot harder to objectivize someone when you're in relationship with them right it's 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 a lot harder um to treat them like a project and like a target of a of a method or of a yeah. you know mission than to really live alongside them and i think that's what we're called to do i think um i years ago um had been in the application process for a, a job at a church and the question had come up in the interview like what what would you what would you do in regards to like evangelism ministry at the church and I think and I, I think my answer was something to the degree of 
think what I would do for the first couple of years is uh, is cancel it <laughs> and say, yeah, and I, I, I want to, I'll clarify then what, like, there's a great value in outreach ministry. Um, but I'd cancel it for a couple of years and I would say, like, if anyone new is going to walk through the doors of this church on a Sunday morning, because that's what we're asking, that's what we're, we were talking about in that context is like growing the church. Um, in terms of Sunday attendance, I said, okay, well, what if for a couple of years we tried an experiment where we did not have this evangelism outreach ministry that you guys have cancel it. If anyone new is going to come through the doors of this church, it's because you who make up this church, um, have developed substantive, thick, real relationship with the people in your life such that, you know, you've naturally shared your faith with them to the point where they're coming and, and being ushered into this community. You know what I mean? Um, I will not let us outsource our mandate to be present with our neighbors, to like a program, to a ministry, to a methodology. I, I think the outreach ministries here at HBIC are an important part of our, I think there's an important physical presence that we're offering here on 2217 Dairy Street that I think is significant for our surrounding community. And we're also just practicing long-term being present in terms of meeting material needs of food insecurity and healthcare and language learning and these different things that kind of fall under that tent. Those are all like vital things that we're doing as part of our corporate witness. Yeah. Um, but man, like we, you know, shame on us if we let that scratch that itch and we don't faithfully then figure out what it means to know our neighbors and live with our neighbors and share our lives with our neighbors. Right. So I guess one question would be like, when you are, when you are interacting with the people around you, neighboring, as I would call it. Um, I typically don't think of that as outreach. Mm -hmm. I think of that as like we're living in a place together. Yeah. And we're interacting together. Yet in church, we talk about it as outreach, mm -hmm. which implies that there are people on the inside and people on the outside. Right. We're reaching out, yeah. Yeah. So like there's a, there is a way of thinking that is underpinning the language of outreach, mm -hmm. insiders and outsiders. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that, because there are people that have chosen and made a commitment and are taken responsibilities on as part of a congregation that other people haven't done, right? So there yeah. is a sense of, hey, being a part of a community is different than not being a part of a community. What I am saying, though, is at a faith level, at a, at a, at a uh, spiritual journey with Jesus Christ level, mm -hmm. we don't have that insider-outsider kind of like thing in, in the sense of right. um, what if God has made all of us and what if all of us are on a journey, some of us are using different language than others, but at the end of the day, we're engaging other people and trying to understand these. We're asking questions. We're asking big questions. We're trying to make meaning. And the particular ways that we make meaning are our beliefs, right, mm -hmm. and our systems. So I would say this about just neighboring. 
I would say, hey, recognize that we're all on, we're all living on planet Earth together. We got to figure this out, or or it's not going to work. We're all living in our neighborhoods together, and um, at some level, uh, we've got to figure out like how we can um, navigate what it means to have faith and make meaning because we've all got to do it. So. All of us are trying to make meaning. The particular way I make meaning is Christianity. The particular way my neighbors would make meaning would be Buddhism, Islam, atheism. Those are real neighbors in my neighborhood. Um, But we're all making meaning, right? We're doing it in very different ways, and so that allows us to have conversations, and it doesn't always be couched in world religion can be couched in what does it mean to keep the neighborhood clean, safe, you know, protected? What does it mean to care for the widow who lives right behind me where it takes all of us to be able to do something right? Um, to support, to support? You're saying that, yeah, you're explaining the common ground on which you like meet with your neighbors versus the coming in tracked first. Yeah, or or just even that attitude. sense of like, we all are on common ground. There's not this there's not this outreach to, like some other place that isn't on ground that we're not. Like we're all on this ground together. Yeah, and so we don't think about it as an insider outsider thing. It's we're a part of a neighborhood together. Mm-hmm. So now the neighborhood is what we're talking about, and we're trying to work that out in our specific ways. I think that neighborhood sacred. Mm-hmm. Other people might not, but we're still we're still here. Yeah. So that doesn't give anyone vi- like license to be violent. And wanting to see the kingdom of Jesus more clearly in your neighborhood does not. It's not a matter of exporting it from two two one seven Dairy Street no. to your block. No. Right. No. We're all working at this. Like, yeah. and it's recognizing to some extent that. If, if we are all working for this in our neighborhoods, then what's the role of 221 Seven Dairy Street? Yeah, you know? and I, I tend to lean into That like, is our address, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I tend to, yeah, increasingly I'm thinking about my ministry in terms of like training and equipping versus uh, programming, you know, for that reason. Because I just think like the cutting edge of what, where like the transformation and the change and the meaningful... Um, investment in our communities is happening on like those fringes, right? It's not, um, yeah, what we can do out of this physical building is just too limiting of a thing. Yes. We do some wonderful things out of the, um, out of the confines of this building for sure. And I don't know if maybe like that outreach phraseology, maybe it's just like it communicates the wrong thing. Like we're, what we're doing in a lot of ways is just, um, faithfully serving you know all right we're just we're a part we're of a just, neighborhood we're just wrapping the towel around our waist and we are serving and washing the feet of our community and and shame on us if we don't continue to do that right, right? um but yeah i can see how reaching out even just it, from an image perspective yeah. uh implies something that you know in one sense it implies that we're just we're still just staying put here and we'll That's reach this arm out but then we're gonna pull it back at some point or, and, or, and if you yeah. want to engage in further relationship with the members of this church and, and be drawn into fellowship with Christ ultimately, hopefully, 
the only way that's going to happen is if like you then come back into this physical place and walk through these doors right. on a Sunday morning. And, and I want to increasingly think, no, especially in a post COVID world, but in general, like what it means to be a part of this church, what it means for, you know, where do we draw the lines of who is and isn't a part of this right. church? That becomes a really complicated question in church staff and staff meetings. when we're talking about people and like, yes. are they, or aren't they? Well, you know, where do you draw that line? I mean, we're ministering to them where we know them. We're walking alongside them as people, they don't tithe and they don't worship, but, um, you know, thinking through those kind of things, um, not limiting ourselves to like the physical space, um, I think is, is vital. And I just think of the early church, you know, they didn't advertise. They didn't, um, invite people to worship. They didn't do those typical quote unquote evangelistic things that we think of, you know, we, they, by dint of their, the lives they led in the context of their immediate communities, you know, people were drawn to Christ. That's how, that's how it happened. Um, and that's like the vision I would want to see recaptured. Well, let's just like, why don't we just try living faithfully where we are and keep pressing into that more and more and more each day on our block, at our job, at school. Right. Um, just more and more let's just like be faithful and love and um invest in no strings attached the people around us you know because i am interested in people uh coming to know christ however we construe that and and then the journey metaphor etc like i want i am interested in seeing that happening and i just i don't think it happens by us like seizing up on the steering wheel and feeling like we need to control these interactions or need to treat people as, as projects and targets, but trust, trust the spirit to work through our living faithfully in a place through not treating people as, 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 as means to some end, but as ends in themselves. So you just said something I think really important in the sense of that trying to live faithfully in a place is our witness. Mm -hmm. That is the focus. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not seeing other people come to Christ. There's a difference, like in the sense of focusing on living faithfully and seeing Christ use us and becoming the witness for yeah. folks to see and come to Christ is different than mm -hmm. having the focus be on let's bring people to Christ. That is a targeting tool to take other people that are outside mm -hmm. the inside and bring them in mm -hmm. versus I want to see Christ live and transform me. And in that process, that will bring up, that is the witness. Like my life is the witness mm -hmm. to, to my neighbors. Uh, and if it's not a good witness, then may God transform me more. Mm -hmm. Right. But that is the witness to the neighbors. That's the focus. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, how do we create some scheme to like tell people what to do and say and et cetera, et cetera. Like it's more a sense of, I think personally that, um, as great, as Christ changes us, that can't help, but transform not just us, but everything. So I guess the question is to some extent, do we as a church see ourselves as a neighborhood and who are our neighbors? Mm -hmm right? Asking that question. Mm -hmm. And we as a church is, we are an organization. So we ought to relate to other organizations, 
We ought to, as individuals, also relate to other individuals. And we ought to recognize that the people that make up this church live in other places too. Not everyone lives in our, quote, neighborhood here in Allison Hill. And so the focus of our work is not just this place, but also the neighborhoods and the work that all of our people are doing in areas of state government, to social work, to classrooms, to, to running a home. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the, the breadth of what God is doing at HPIC is, is huge. It's incredibly reductionistic to think about it only in terms of the programs that are happening in our capital space. Mm-hmm. And to think about the locus of what makes in and out our, if, whether or not you're in our doors or not. Um, so I think that this is a, it's a paradigm shift for sure that, um, reframes, uh, this sense of, we want to be transformed. And as we're transformed, that will bring other people Mm -hmm. to Christ. But the focus is, are we being transformed? And don't worry so much about whether or not other people are, are, hearing the gospel or see they're gonna hear the gospel and they're gonna see the gospel when you're in their presence if you are transformed right that's gonna happen right focus too much on you know the sermon peter gives in acts and not on what preceded it and followed it which was this robust loving community of people fellowshipping together in the midst of everyone else to yeah. which everyone stopped and said wait what is going on there you know what I mean? What like what is happening? They're meeting, they're selling their stuff and and providing for one another. They're feeding one another. They're gathering in these different ways and, and supporting and loving and like you know, um, that is the witness. And that's always been close to the heart of us as Anabaptists, right? It's just this idea that uh, of communal witness and that you know we are we are the message. That's you right. Know? You you want to you want to know if I'm a Christian? Ask my neighbor. Mm-hmm. Like that's been the response traditionally. And at the end of the day, if you're concerned that we need to teach people how to evangelize, it ought not be let's memorize the Bible verses and let's get the script right or pray the right prayer, sinner's prayer or otherwise, the Romans road or pick your, pick your thing. I really think that those forms fall flat when someone asks the real pressing question, yes, but what is Jesus doing in your life? Mm-hmm. And if you can't answer that question, yeah. and you can't, you can't frame that as like, well, I'll tell you today yeah. how Jesus engaged me today. I'll tell you today what Jesus is, is transforming me to be less violent than I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a message. That mm-hmm. is hope. That is good news, yeah. right? Just sitting so- and walking through something, that's not, like, that's, that's dead. Yeah. It's embalming the living work of God in ink on a page. Yeah. For Christians, the medium is the message. Yeah, and you are said. that message. Right. Like, in the same way that Jesus was a living word. Like Je- You are the living word, you right? You know, like Jesus himself, you know, he... We're not, uh, we are not Muslim. We don't rely solely on the holy word delivered from on high as text on a page, as a, as a message to spread. You know, we look to a living word who came and embodied right. 
the right. full counsel and character of God. That's exactly right. Among humanity. And the good news is this. We are all hypocrites and our living word is not all that great. Mm-hmm. So by grace only does someone come to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It is not anything that we do lest we should boast about it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like to some extent, like the whole focus here is shifting to understanding like, hey, if we are not being transformed and we are not living witnesses and examples of what God's doing in our life, um, but yet want to go about taking a class on evangelism or, you know, doing this or that. I mean, we just got our, just got our, our head on backwards here. Yeah. There's no shortcut. Uh Uh-uh. There's no shortcut. There's no methodology that then lets us off the hook from That's right. experiencing and testifying to radical life change. And I've been around intellectuals long enough, and I, I run in some of those waters, that it's easier to study it, mm-hmm. to intellectualize it, to know all the answers, to have the things at way, the... Way easier. Yeah, way, way easier. And why? Because the whole process of learning that way distances you from the actual message. Mm-hmm. You can analytically know it in your head, but it's quite a different thing to actually have to live it. Yes and amen. Amen. That's good, Chad. Thank you.